What is going on, Podcast Land? This is Kyle Shields. I'm sitting here with Dylan Brown, and we are back for another episode on Caffeinated Bible Chatter. Dylan, what about you? What's going on? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm excited for this episode. This will kind of probably be a one-off episode, um, as you can probably tell by the title, which at this point in the recording, I don't know exactly what that'll be, but something to the effect of body, soul, spirit, or where does the soul go, or is soul sleep a biblical thing? or Because that's kind of the things we're just going to be discussing in this episode. I do want to go ahead and also say, uh, throw out an apology. Um, we are not in the studio. We, we've been saying that a lot recently. We have been moving around a little bit, um, but I do have my kids with me during the recording of this, uh, at least a couple of them, and so if there are any random sounds, we are in the open air in the openness of the house, and uh, it will come with some uh, pitter patter and some uh, a little boy that's right beside me who wants to eagerly talk into the mic as well. So, Macklin, how you doing? Okay, now I got a shot. All right, that's right. So, but yeah, I'm looking forward to this episode. Um, this actually, I'll, I'll say this that it uh, we kind of landed the plane last week um, on. You know, the stuff we were dealing with and we were talking about, you know, weird things in the Bible. And that's something that we'll continue to come back to. It's not like a, a one-off series. That's something we'll continue to come back to, just like we'll eventually go back to the mission. And we already broke down evangelism. We're going to go back and then break down discipleship and then eventually go back and break down missions or church planning. Um, and, and that... Uh, I don't know when we'll do that, and I don't know when we'll get back to weird things, but all these are open-ended series uh, that we can continue to funnel back to, um, and then we want to hit some practical things in the midst, too. But this is probably a one-off deal, um, maybe a couple weeks, I'm not sure, but um, it kind of came from uh, me and Kyle having some conversation about First Thessalonians 4 with the rapture, um, and you know the, the famous passage where Paul says... Um, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds, and all that stuff. And so really the question is, we we're reading some commentary from a dear, beloved saint that we uh, that is no longer with us, uh, that we read behind. And we, uh, we thought that he was advocating soul sleep, uh, which he was not. Um, but it got us looking into this thing and just being able, you know, there's really a big difference in believing something and then being able to prove it with the Bible. And um, if you've grown up in a Baptist church uh, like we have, there's probably a lot of things you believe just because, like, in conversations with people and, like, your your childhood raising and stuff, you believe things. But if I were to say, okay, can you prove it to me in the Bible, you may have a harder time with that. And that's where we all need to get to is where we can quickly prove things using Scripture. And so um, it kind of got us rolling in this, and we thought it'd be a good— bridge episode. I'm not exactly sure what we'll get into next, if we're going to do anything practical in between this and the, the what's to come. But if you've looked on, on social media or Facebook, we are going to be uh, getting into Calvinism soon. That'll probably take us a while. Um, so we're getting the the uh, guns loaded, uh, putting the ammo in the chamber as we speak, trying to get prepared for that. Um, but we'll, we'll kind of dive into this and hopefully it'll be Something for you to study out for yourself and be exciting. Yes. So maybe we'll get a guest on for the the Calvinism. Yes. There's series. one guy out there that uh, 
He's ready to throw some. <laughs> yeah, we, we, you know, we've had a few people. We've had, obviously we've had my dad on. If you have been listening to this for a long time, he was on our uh, uh, Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving episode. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we've had him, him. He's a pastor of a church near us, and actually where Kyle goes. Um, and we've talked about a, a few other guys. Um, talked to a few other guys, and we talked to one other guy in particular. I'm not going to name drop. Um, but he's hard to get a hold of on this thing. And so we're going to try to do that in the Calvinism episode. Um, and if he ends up doing it, you'll know exactly who it is. And he knows who he is. So praise the Lord. Um, but I will say, Kyle, Kyle was so kind to, on the way here to record, uh, to uh, go by my favorite coffee shop, uh, Eliano's. And uh, I am sipping on a large hot Tuscany, which is my favorite um, coffee there. And it's guilt free, whatever that means. It's guilt free. Felt weird ordering that. So I've, <laughs> you know, I've made it clear. I've, I've been trying to, uh, I've been trying to do better um, for for various reasons, um, but. I've been trying to do better. And so the guilt-free essentially is sugar-free, which I, I know is still not good for you. It's artificial sweetener. Um, but I'm just testing it on my body, see how I feel. Doing guilt-free, which is sugar-free, and it's it's not whole milk, which I actually don't have a problem with whole milk, but it's just how the package comes. So that's what we're doing. So uh, that's just how this one rolls. So uh, I'm enjoying the fire out of it. It's got a little espresso in it. So I'm ready to roll, ready to fire up. Cal, what you sipping on? I got a large, hot, white mocha, just plain, plain today. But it's not just black coffee, so. My goodness. So, I he's, heard you order guilt-free, so I had to get something. He's definitely <laughs> got his ESV out today. He yes. is feeling. Uh, and I'm, I keep making that joke. Again, if you use ESV out there, God bless you. Just read read it. I'd say I'd tell you to read it every day. If that's, if that's what you got, read it. Uh, but bless uh, God, you can't study it like you can the book. I was about to say, like you said. <laughs> Some people read and some people study. That's right. Yep. So, well, uh, Kyle, go ahead if you want to, If you, unless you got maybe another way to uh, take the plane off the ground. But there's one reference that deals with body, soul, and spirit. And uh, maybe Kyle has that, and we'll go ahead and kick off yeah. with that. And then I can read that. I guess first Thessalonians 4, so they can see what you were mm. talking about. The rapture. Um, but, yeah, to kick off the the... Body, soul, spirit talk, there is a verse that mentions all three of those. And that is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. It says, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're not crazy by saying body, soul, spirit. Man is three parts. Right. We do have three parts. Called a trichotomy in the, yeah. in the theological conversational world um and some people are dichotomists um and i actually don't think those are those are dumb people uh i think they're wrong but i don't i can see where people would get that only because and we'll talk about this here shortly but the soul and the spirit uh are very similar like like sometimes almost used interchangeably but they are separate of course because we believe every word of god is pure in first thessalonians 5 Paul wants every part of that person, and he lays those out separately, to be blameless um, before the Lord. And so, but I can see where people would go with that, and we'll talk more about that. But we are trichotomists uh, because we are Bible believers. 
So there you yeah. And then that, I was just going to read real quick that reference, what Dylan was talking about earlier, is a few verses before the one we read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, um, starting in verse 14. Yeah. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And I think that's the place where a lot of, I guess, other religions, you know, Jehovah Witness, Seventh-day Adventist, whatever, they get mixed up with that because they read the the dead in Christ, um, you know, and then comes along this theory of, of soul sleeping. Um, right. So I think that'll be our main point today in talking about body, soul, spirit. Yep. We'll be talking about soul sleeping. Is that is that what actually happens or is there scripture to prove that that is not the case? Yeah, and um, it, like like you said, because the word does or the Bible does use the word sleep um, in that that context, and so you know it, it goes back to kind of something we've said in the past, um, and a lot of Bible teachers that we've learned from have said for a long time, and that is that that uh, heresy or, or wrong teaching it doesn't oftentimes come from just out of thin air. Now, sometimes there are people that are, you know, things that are just completely made up. Um, but normally it's just something wrongly divided from the Word of God or wrongly contextualized, misapplied, spiritualized instead of literal. What One of those things. And that is normally how we get, uh, that's how people normally get to those false conclusions. And so... Maybe a question that I want to throw out now that we'll actually close with, because I have like four main bullet points that, uh, you know, I try to systemize uh, everything to keep me flowing. Um, But four main things that I'm going to say with some sub points in there. But the question that I'm going to end on is, so, so take somebody that has died. Okay. They're, they're dead right now and they knew Jesus Christ. Well, they will be raptured as well because the dead in Christ shall rise first. Okay, so the question is, this is really what what got us going on this, is what is Jesus coming back for, for for that dead saint? Now, if someone's alive at the rapture, that's easy. Like, boom, gone. Up, we go up, and in in that moment, we get our glorified bodies. Okay, but but for for the saint that's already gone to be with the Lord, it's funny that they, you know, we would say as Baptists, naturally growing up, we would say, yeah, they're already with the Lord now. Okay, but why is it in the rapture that they they have to rise first? Seems kind of strange. So um, that's what got us on this, this question, and I kind of want to throw that out there, and we'll end with that, but you can kind of be thinking about that as we break down some other stuff. Um, because what is it that God's coming back for? What is it that he's rapturing? And so, because some people would say he's rapturing the soul. Well, that would indicate soul sleep. That would indicate if he's rapturing just the soul in that moment, what I would say at least, is that that means the soul is not present with the Lord now. I mean, now, I do... saying that everybody's grandma that's passed away is 
just in the grave. He's idle right actually, now. Yeah. yeah. It's just in, you know, in, in some kind of fog or sleep or whatever. Um, now, I do believe the soul will be raptured, but the, the soul and the spirit will come back. And I don't want to get ahead of myself, but in that moment, and we'll, we'll break all that down. Um, so the first bullet point I have that we've already broken down is that we are a three-part being. And we saw that from 1 Thessalonians 5.23, um, that you know, he weighs out uh, body, soul, and spirit. Um, now, we also, uh, Kyle, if you want to go to Genesis 5.3, we also, um, that makes sense that we would be three-part being because it was God in a creation account in Genesis 1, verse 26 and 27, that he says that he would make man in his image, and he doesn't use the word his image, but notice verse 26 of Genesis 1, and God said, let us make man in our image. So us and ours, plural. Of course, that's the Godhead. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. So man is, and that's, you'll, you'll hear people say that all the time, and they're not wrong. You know, we are created in his image. Now, we've talked about this a lot in several episodes, but it, it goes, with, goes along with this. You know, that was why the fall of man was so big, because, um, the, of course, the Lord told him, if, if you eat of this tree, you'll die. Like, in the same day, you'll die. Well, the problem was, from a logical standpoint, which is never a good standpoint to approach the Bible from anyway, um, but from a logical standpoint, they didn't die. They actually lived 900-something years. Okay, so what happened? Well, we know it was a spiritual death. And so at that moment, even though they are a trichotomy, they are a three-part being, they're made in God's image, which he is. It's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He is a three-part Godhead. Um in that moment, their spirit died. Now, does that mean they lost their spirit and became a dichotomy, or became a, a you know a, a two part being? No, they still have their spirit, but their spirit did not function as though it should, and therefore spiritual life did not function as though it should, and their spirit was dead. And then that is why after the fall, man is born a sinner. You know, Romans five talks about all that are in Adam shall die. And all that are in Christ shall be made up, shall be made alive. And so, uh, Kyle has Genesis five three. This is Seth. When when Adam has Seth, notice what kind of image he has. He has Seth in Genesis five three. And Adam lived an hundred and thirty years and begat a son in his own likeness after his image and called his name Seth. Yeah. So uh, a spiritual death has taken place. Adam then in this dead spiritual state. Has um, has Seth, and it's in his, it's in Adam's image, his fallen image, and that again. So that's that's why you know, yes, somebody are they are they a, they a sinner? You know, most I think from my experience, which I live in the South in America, most people know they are, even if they're lost. But there's you have the occasional person that doesn't believe they're a sinner. Well, we're we're sinners by choice, but we're also we're also sinners, you know, because of 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 Adam, and we're all born in Adam. Adam started the whole shindig. Uh, we are here today. 
You could um, technically say, I know you're saying it's a spiritual death that day uh-huh. uh, that they sin, but technically, if you use that verse, a thousand years a day and a day is right. a thousand years old, absolutely. He, he technically died that day as well because right. he didn't make it to a thousand. For sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but so Adam's having the, the you know his kid and, and, and his image, this fallen image. And so that's why in salvation in Ephesians 2, the Word of God uses such terminology like this. Ephesians 2, 1, he says, And you hath he quickened, which means to be made alive. Well, okay, when I called upon the Lord, I was living and breathing before that. Moments before calling upon the name of the Lord, I was living and breathing. Pretty sure I was alive. But he says that at that moment, he quickened me, which means to, to be made alive. So what is he making alive? Well, he's making my spirit alive. And you hath he quickened, and Kyle, if you want to go to John 3, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Verse 2. Um, actually, I don't need to go to verse 2. That's all I want to read. Okay, so there's this quickening aspect that takes place, which obviously comes from the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God joins our dead spirit and makes us alive. It's 1 Corinthians six seventeen, I think. Is somewhere in that that, that range, that says that we are our spirit is joined unto the Lord, so His spirit comes inside of us as the earnest of our inheritance, according to Ephesians chapter one, and He brings our spirit alive, and that's why. And Kyle has John three, uh, maybe verse three through five, Kyle, but yeah. that's why the new birth is necessary, which is salvation. The new birth is necessary uh, because it is literally a spiritual birth. So go ahead and read that. Yeah, John 3, 3. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water, that's a physical birth, and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Yeah, and so... It's obviously a spiritual uh, spiritual birth, and and like like uh, like Kyle said, that whole water birth thing. I don't know if you probably heard the expression, especially you ladies. We all have the whole water breaking thing. Now I say that only because I have three kids, and my wife's water has never broken. Well, I guess it has broken in the hospital, but I didn't have any kind of crazy moment where the water. I think you have, Kyle. Yes, that's not, that's that's sad. Fine. <laughs> yeah, Tori. Keep, we have another kid on the way. Because we're crazy, and we have a lot of kids, and um, and she wants that to happen for her water to break randomly, like at a store or something. I and know. <laughs> uh, yeah, she, yeah, she's got some issues. So pray for that. Um, so, but notice that that whole water birth thing there in John three. Well, that's that's signifying a physical birth. Okay. Now, just a little prelude, a little uh, sneak peek for our Calvinism stuff coming up. Old John, old Johnny, Calvin, he teaches that verse, he uses that verse to teach baby regeneration uh, with, with sprinkling of water. Mm. Just just throwing that out there, letting you know. Okay, so there we go. Move along. <laughs> um, but that's obviously a physical birth. So what, what Jesus was letting Nicodemus know, as, as we know, is how you have to have a spiritual birth. And that's why Nicodemus wouldn't understand. And he's like, what do you mean I have to go back inside my mom? He's like, no, no, this is a spiritual thing. That's why you can't see the kingdom of God unless you're born again, etc. 
Okay, so in that spiritual birth, we lose that 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 dead spirit, or that dead spirit becomes alive because the Spirit of God is joined unto us and makes us quickened, as Ephesians 2 says, and, and now we have spiritual life. That's why it's a spiritual birth. That's why we know that no one in this dispensation can lose their salvation. Nobody that, we're the only dispensation that has access to eternal life outside of those in the millennium, and that's a whole different deal, and I'd go back and listen to that if you're wondering what in the world I'm talking about. I don't have time to get into that. But from this point, from the church age back, we are the only people to have access uh, to eternal life except for Adam and Eve pre-fall. Um, in the law, they didn't have access to eternal life. People had the Spirit of God, and then they lose the Spirit of God. Uh Plenty of examples of that. We don't have time to, to chase that rabbit either. But that's why we know. So at the moment of a spiritual birth, we receive etern- eternal life, which eternal has a, has a meaning to it. Words have meanings. Eternal means eternal. And it was that's why it's so crucial that we understand that it was a birth and the Spirit of God was joined unto our spirit because you can't unborn something. You can try all you want. But once something is born naturally in life, it cannot be unborn. And so this, the same is true with us. So we're, we are a three-part being, but we were born with a dead spirit. But if you've trusted Christ and he has quickened your spirit, which obviously gives you access to him, you are now, uh, you now have spiritual life in you through the spirit of God. Um, John 1.12 says, but as many as received him, this is how we get saved, but as many as received him, you must receive Christ, to them gave you power, which that power is the Spirit of God, that to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Notice, which were born, spiritual birth, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh. Now, Calvinists will use that too, but that not by our efforts and works that we could do, nor of the will of man, but of God. Okay, so I may have decided to call upon Christ, but you know what? I didn't start going in there and do, and, and I didn't. I did not flush the spirit of God inside of me. How did God do that? I have no idea. <laughs> I just believe what the Bible says, and so God. It's a work that God does um, in that moment. And maybe this will be a good place for us to go ahead and and talk about spiritual circumcision, Big Kai, which I don't have necessarily written down. But yeah. if you want to go to Colossians chapter two. And so at that moment, this is how we get victory in our Christian life, or how, at least how we have the ability to have victory in our Christian life, is because at the moment of salvation, when he does come and join our spirit to make it alive with his Holy Spirit, he actually takes our flesh and he cuts it away from our soul and spirit. And so he has that, and I think it's verse 11 through 13, something like that in that region. Yeah, Colossians 2, 11. In whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh hath he quickened together with him having forgiven you all trespasses. So... No, find great. So he cuts it away. It's like a, we always use this analogy. We got it from uh, from Peter Ruckman, and, Easy. and yeah, <laughs> name dropping. He's uh, whatever. Um, 
but it's like a, it's like an ice tray. I grew up with ice with ice trays in my house. We did not have a modern fridge slash freezer, and so we would crack those. You know, they don't make the ice trays like they used to. Now they're all rubbery. And since I've gotten married, we had to go down that route before, and I just started drinking stuff without ice. It just wasn't worth it. But you would crack those old ice trays. At, at first, the ice is stuck. It gets loosed at that moment. It's still in the ice tray but it's loose from being stuck to the ice tray. Well, that's what happened with our soul and spirit the moment we received Christ is he cut our flesh away from our soul and spirit, which allows us to walk in the spirit, to submit to the word of God, to allow the word of God to speak into our lives and to understand it and, and find great comfort in the fact that the Bible says it is the operation, is the operation of God made without hands. Yeah. So like, you know, you think about all these things. Again, like I said, I just called upon Christ. I just came to Christ for eternal life. I knew I was a sinner. I knew he was the Savior. I believed the gospel was the way of salvation, and I received that gift. Okay, I don't know how he does all that he does at the moment of salvation, but you know what? That's for him to, that's for him to do. We just have to come to Christ. And so if you're lost, find great comfort of that and receive Jesus Christ. Yeah, um, I, I, a reference I always like to read with that is Hebrews four twelve. Yeah, because we we talk about the word of God is the power, uh, the gospel is the power. But Hebrews four twelve says the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So that kind of goes with that Colossians that operation of God. I mean, yep. Holy Spirit came in there with a knife. That's right. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. So, um, kind of went longer than I thought on that first point, but we, we are tri- we are trichotomists. We are uh, a trichotomy. That's, we are a three-part being. Okay. Now, let's ask this question. What does each role play in our life? What does each one of those things, what type of role do they have in us? Well, this may be where uh, there, this is, there's definitely more study needed for this. And, uh, um, you know, we don't take a we don't take days to study for this, um, except for the Calvinism stuff coming up. Oh, yeah, 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 Days. We're coming. We're coming. Big guy's coming. Um, but we just kind of, you know, quickly have some stuff here. But uh, so what is, what is each role play? Kyle, if you want to go to 1 Timothy 4, 8, this is, an, this is very simple. But our body is, is just simply that. It's, it's a physical thing. Okay. Now, is it important? It is super important. I actually would go as far, I'll be against some most Baptists, and I'll go as far as to say that if your body's not taken care of right, it'll affect you in other areas. Uh, it'll affect you, it can affect you mentally. It can, like we have hormones, all these things are very, okay, all this stuff matters. Um, but at the end of the day, our body is what our body is. It is simply uh, the physical aspect of us that he has given us, that is now, if we're saved, a, a the temple of the Holy Ghost. And if it's the temple of the Holy Ghost, then he simply is wanting to use that to accomplish his mission while we're here on earth. Because if we don't have a body while we're on earth, that means we're, we're, we're not alive. Because And I'm getting ahead of myself, but to be absent from the body. Okay, you know probably the rest of the verse. We're saving that for later. Um but our body is simply physical. This is probably a terrible reference to put with this, but it's the one that I think is most simple. Let's go ahead and read that First Timothy 4 eight reference. But yeah. For bodily exercise profiteth little, which it doesn't say it's unprofitable. So you say right. it can affect other things. Yep. 
Not wrong. Right. Um, but profiteth little. But godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. Okay, so I really just go there because just to show that the body is obviously has its its deal. Um, there is, you know, again, over, I don't probably don't have to break this down. We all understand what our body is from just a physical standpoint, but it is just completely physical. Okay, and so we know what role it plays. If obviously if we don't take care of it, we can be bad stewards of the grace of God inside of us if we don't take care of the body He's given us to display His grace to the world. Now, that would be something to consider for your own life. Um, but it is it is our, the physical side of us. Okay, now the soul. Uh, what is the soul? Uh, Genesis. I didn't plan on going to this reference until right before. But the soul is really interesting because the soul is really an inner tube of our body. It's interesting, and I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. We're going to read these references, I think, later. But Luke 16, the rich man goes to hell. Well, we would none of us believe that his body went to hell. That's, that's, that'd be stupid. His soul goes to hell. But it is the rich man that looks, uh, that when, he, when he's first... Uh, awakes in hell that he looks up with his eyes and he tells Lazarus to, to dip uh, water on his tongue and there's all these things so whatever that looks like I don't know but but uh, what we can gather from that is that the rich man had every um, physical feeling that a physical body would bring without having the physical body yeah I always think of it like a, a ball like a basketball yeah. or something like you have the outside, which would be like our body, and then inside a basketball is a tube. Right. So that would be like the soul. So him saying my eyes and dip it on my tongue. Yeah. I mean, I think your your soul is the. It's just like your body. It's just, you don't just see inner. it. Inner. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why the spiritual circumcision is a big deal because our soul is is an inner tube of our body, and at the moment of salvation, it became unstuck, which means you have can have victory over the flesh, but it was cut away. From our body, therefore, there's some separation, which allows us to live in separation unto Christ instead of the world. All those kind of things. Okay, but the soul is—it really is who we are. Now, obviously, we're all three of those things while we're here on earth: body, soul, spirit. But the soul, uh, at its deepest core, is who we are. Uh, Genesis 19:20. Interesting thing. This is about um, part of the passage of 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 Lot and all of that. Um, but, but verse 20 says, Behold now, uh, this city is near to flee unto, and it is a little one. Oh, let me escape thither. It is not a little one. Uh, is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. So there's a lot of references like that that talk about this soul being directly connected with life and living. And so you study that out for yourself, but what I would just say to you is that it is it is the fabric of our life. It is the fabric of who we are. It is the fabric of our our, our personality. It is the, and the spirit certainly plays a role in that too. Like I said, they're closely connected. But it is it is our life in its uh, most genuine form. Is our soul. That's why it's interesting. When the Titanic fell or uh, sunk or whatever, you can go back and read the old uh, or the initial radio broadcast, whatever. I can, I forget how many people died, but you know what they said. X amount of souls perished. I think that's the I think they use the word perish. Something like that. Okay, but they're referencing souls because 
when life is no more, the it's 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 kind of almost like a common thing we know. The soul leaves, okay, and so it's it's jointly connected with life. Um, but what I would say is we're asking what what each role, uh, what each thing, what role it plays in our life. Well, our body key, a body plays in the physical role, but I would say this: our soul is possibly deeply connected with our heart. Uh, Kyle, if you want to go to Deuteronomy four twenty nine. I think that's the reference I want. Let me double check, actually. Deuteronomy yeah, 4. Yeah, soul. Okay. 429. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me go ahead and read it. Yeah, go ahead. Deuteronomy 429. But if from thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find him, if thou seek him with all thy heart and with all thy soul. Now, I will acknowledge that there's times where the where the the, the spirit and and heart, I think, are also mentioned together as well. But again, what I am saying is that the spirit and soul are very closely connected. Um, heart and soul. Yeah, the, the heart and soul, but also the spirit, uh. the spirit and, and heart. But what I'm saying is that when, when I study this out, that I think it's very possible that the soul is mostly closely connected with the heart. Okay, you have that reference there in Deut- Deuteronomy 429, uh, Acts... 432, we're just doing a Bible study here together. But it says, And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. And so there's a lot of references like that. And so I would tell you that, that our again, that our soul is closely connected with our heart. And we're going to define the difference in heart and mind here in a minute too. Because again, they're super, super, just like the soul and spirit are closely connected, the heart and mind are closely connected. Okay, so the body plays a physical role. The soul, to my belief, plays a role with our heart, and the spirit plays a role uh, with our mind. Okay? The, the the spirit is very possibly connected most closely with the mind. Kyle, if you got if you want to go to Ephesians 4.23. Yeah. Ephesians, Ephesians. Uh, yeah. Ephesians 4.23. 4.23. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Okay. So... Paul, they're telling the church of Ephesus, hey, let this uh, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So that's obviously a very clear reference that they are very closely connected. Cal, if you want to grab uh, Philippians 1.27, I think it's interesting. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear. Now, in this context, I think the spirit is an outside ungodly spirit a demonic spirit that tries to cast fear upon us but it could be that we generate our own fear as well so for god hath not given us the spirit of fear lowercase spirit there but then notice what he does give in contrast but of power and of love and then notice the last phrase and of a sound mind so the spirit of fear is wrong but god gives us a sound mind and so I think even though those are in that context polar opposites, they're jointly connected in how they function. Okay, one can control you, the sound mind or the spirit of fear. And so I think uh, I think that's, a, that's a, a clear reference as well. And then Kyle, if you've got uh, Philippians 1.27. Yeah, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. So, um, 
You get it. I mean, I keep I keep uh, laying that out there, but that's why I believe that. Now, like I said, somebody could probably say, "Well, I think you know, kind of tweak this, or whatever," and that's fine. Um, that that doesn't make you think like you know, you're saying spirit and mind are closely connected, like people that do meditation and all that clear in their minds and yep. not being focused on things of God. Then it's a spiritual transaction. Yeah. Just with scary. the wrong spirits. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, really at the end of the day, there's a lot of spiritual things out there, but they're not all biblical. And if they're not biblical, they're not godly. And so, um, I like the second Timothy one seven reference I just gave. Again, I always teach that as the spirit of fear comes from an ungodly spirit. But we still do have a spirit. And again, if a spirit is connected with mind, we know we can generate fear in our own life. We can submit to ungodly fear. And I think it's interesting that in the opposition of that, God uses the word when he he says he gives us love, power, and and what? A sound mind. And so they they are very jointly connected uh, in strange ways. Um, so I believe the body plays a physical role. The soul plays a role in our heart and the spirit plays a role with our mind. Now, like I said, the, the spirit and, and, and soul are very closely connected, just like the heart and mind are very closely connected. It is Proverbs and Kyle, if you want to go to, uh, Philippians four, six and seven, um, it is Proverbs to show you how jointly connected these are and how this is why some people are dichotomous, like I said earlier, is that these things are so close that they don't see any difference in them. Proverbs 23, 7, in his heart, so is he. So, like I said, I, for the dichotomous, the people that can't differentiate these, uh, I can at least get where they're coming from because, boy, they are as close as close can get. Um, so for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. And then Kyle, if you've got Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Yep. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So again, he uses those together, which you know doesn't mean they are the same, of course, but they are closely connected. So... How would I differentiate, in maybe a simple reference, a simple way, how I would differentiate, let's just say the mind and the and the heart, which again, I believe is connected one with the soul, heart being the soul, spirit being the mind. Um, but Hebrews 4.12, Kyle actually read this reference earlier, but it talks about the word of God and how powerful it is. And again, it shows us the, the how it splits things and which would be another reference for why we are trichotomous. Because it, it breaks down the separation here. But for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing even. So he's saying how low and how deep this thing pierces. Piercing even to the dividing asunder. Okay, he's dividing these two things. Of soul and spirit. They're obviously different. And the joints and marrow. There's the, the physical. And is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So, how would I attribute? Uh, how would I attribute the mind? Well, that's the thoughts there in Hebrews four twelve. So it's this, this word of God is dividing asunder between the soul and spirit. 
Okay, then later at the end of the verse, it says, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intent. So the thoughts there go along with, with the spirit because I believe the spirit's connected to the mind. And then notice the second words, the second word there it uses, it's a, it's a discerner of the thoughts, but, and the intents. And those intents, to my estimation, would go along with the soul. So that's why we actually... Uh, and I'll, I'll read the reference. That's why we all the time, so like we talk about the motives behind what we do and how they matter. Okay, so like, um, well, let's say we're serving the Lord. Okay, and we say, we always talk about it all the time, it's, it's not just what you do, but it's why you do it. And that actually will matter at the judgment seat of Christ. Okay, well, so the the mind aspect of that would just be I'll make the decision that I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to do this. Okay, the hard aspect of it would be doing it for the right purpose or for the right reason or with the right uh, the right motive. Okay, the Lord lets us know that that's a big deal in 1 Corinthians 3 when he's talking about the judgment seat of Christ because he says, now if any man build upon, this is verse 12, now if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. So it's interesting that it's letting us know that he is going to judge that based on the sort, okay? Which means that, that we can do the right things. It can have great magnitude of it uh, 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 in it, but if it's not done the right way or of the right kind or the right sort, then it won't actually pass the test at the judgment seat. Okay, I believe that's directly tied with the intents of our heart, with why we're doing uh, or why we do what we do. That's why Colossians chapter 3, uh, I think it's Colossians 3. Now I'm just kind of randomly thinking about some references. Let me see if it's Colossians 3. He says, And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. So like, let's say my mind says, okay, I'm going to serve the Lord. Okay, that's good. But I'm doing it unto men. Well, then what I'm not doing is I'm not doing it heartily, okay, with the right motives, pure heart unto the Lord. It's not for his glory. It's for mine so that men will see me. It's for, for uh, I think Ephesians 6 talks about doing things not for eye service or something like that. So that's the way I would break down those three components um, and, how, and what function they play in our life. Now, again, like I said, I'll keep saying this. They are very closely connected, very closely connected. Um, the, the, the soul and spirit and the, 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 the heart and the mind. But I would say that's how the simplest way to break that down. Um, you got anything you want to add there, Big Cal, before I keep rolling? No. You- okay. Um, okay. So now let's ask this question. What happens to those components, those three different components of us at death? Okay. We're just talk, t- talking generically here, not, not necessarily specifying saved yet. Let's actually, let's just ask the question. What happens to those three components at death? Well, let's take the lost man, for instance. And Kyle, if you want to go to Ecclesi- Ecclesiastes 12, I'm going to go to Ecclesiastes 3. Well, what happens to a lost man? Okay. We're just going to try to break this down biblically as we know how 
but you take a lost man and they die. They're still body, soul, spirit. They just never had their spirit quickened and made alive so that they lived spiritual life. Okay, so what happens to a lost man when they die? Well, let's take uh, let's take their spirit, their well, their body, for instance. We know that their body goes in the ground. Man's body, when it dies, it goes in the ground. It goes back to dust. Now, some people's goes back to dust a lot quicker. I mean, now you have like people doing cremation and all that, and I don't have any problem with that. Um, didn't matter if I did. Who cares? Who am I? Uh, but I see nothing wrong with that, and I'll say why later. Um, but go ahead and read Ecclesiastes 12, 7, big guy. 7. Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit shall return unto God who gave it. Okay, so we know from Genesis chapter 3 that God created man out of the dust of the ground. And it's talking about there in verse 7 that at death, that body, that dust that was created us, it will return to dust. Okay, Ecclesiastes 3, and we're going to use these references for a lot of the things we're going to say. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 20 says, All go unto one place. That's all. All go unto one place. All are of the dust, and all turn to dust again. So where does the lost man's body go? Well, it goes back to the dust. It goes in the ground. Okay, whether they were buried, cremated, it goes back to dust. It goes into the ground. Okay, all right. Where does their spirit go? And now I made this comment, and this kind of also led me into thinking about this study too, because I made the comment two weeks ago that I believe that every spirit of every man, lost or saved, goes back to the Lord. And that may seem strange because maybe it sounds like I'm saying that half of lost people, half of them goes to heaven. Well, I'm not saying that as far as the presence of where they are. That doesn't go to heaven, but their spirit, I believe, does. Kyle, go ahead and read uh, verse or Ecclesiastes twelve seven again. Yeah. Uh, then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the spirit shall return unto God who gave it. Okay. The spirit, a generic statement there of man, goes back to God because God gave the spirit. Okay. He gave the person life. Okay. Ecclesiastes three twenty. I read said and go unto uh, and all go unto one place. All are of the dust, and all turn to dust again. Verse 21 says, Who knoweth the spirit of man that goeth upward? It goes on to talk about animals and the spirit of the beast that goeth downward to the earth. Okay, So so the spirit of man, generic statement here, goeth upward. It goeth back, according to Kyle's reference, it goeth back to the Lord who gave it. It's his. So it goes back to him. Now, again, that may seem strange, but we'll say more about that. Okay, so we're talking about a lost man. Their body goes into the ground. Their spirit, based on these references, goes back to the Lord. And then, Kyle, if you want to go to Luke 16, 22 and 23. Now, where does their soul go? Well, their soul goes to hell. Okay? Now, this would be another advocate uh, or another proof that soul sleep is heresy because... What we would what what most people that would believe in soul sleep would say is well the the soul of a Christian sleeps, but they wouldn't say that for a lost person, because that would actually be a graceful thing for the Lord to let them just sit idly unconscious for a while before they go to hell. Because we know eventually, even if you believe in soul sleep, you know eventually a lost soul would go to hell. Okay, we we all go somewhere in eternity, but Kyle has Luke sixteen twenty two and twenty three is the rich man that I was mentioning earlier. 
Yeah, and it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Okay, so the rich man, this is obviously his soul. It's not his body. He dies. He's without the Lord. And he lifts up his eyes in hell. Okay, that's where his soul goes. That's where that goes in that text. Um, but you also see that Abraham and Lazarus, who has fingers. I mean, right. like, it's not just lost people. That right, exactly, <laughs> right, absolutely. Yeah, and they, they go somewhere as well. Okay, um, this is why 1 Corinthians 15.55 says, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Okay, because because if, if someone, and this is really applies more so to the, to the saved man, but or this does apply to the same man. But if there was, if because of, of eternal life, this is why the grave doesn't have victory. Okay, if, if someone's consciousness and their, their, their soul stayed in their body in the ground, uh, then, you know, there would, uh, I would propose to you that there would be some victory in that. Okay, and that leads us to the whole thing of we know that a saved person goes uh, to heaven, their soul does, and that's what I'm about to get into now. Okay, so that's the lost man. Their body goes in the ground. Their spirit goes upward into the Lord and their soul goes to hell. Okay, now let's let's break down a saved man because again, we're asking the question, what happens to these three components of death? Well, obviously, there's two types of people in the world, saved and lost. That's where lost people's components go. What about a saved man? Well, their body also goes to the ground. Again, the reference of Ecclesiastes 12.7, Ecclesiastes 3.20, the, the body goes uh, back to dust, Okay. Okay, how about how about their spirit? Uh, Kyle, if you want to read Ecclesiastes 12, 7 again, and I'm going to go to Ephesians 2, 6. So where does the spirit of a saved man go? Well, I, I already said a generic statement there in Ecclesiastes. It all goes to the Lord, but go ahead and read that, big Kyle. Ecclesiastes 12, 7. Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the spirit shall return unto God who gave it. Okay, so even those that probably believe in, in, in some kind of sleeping thing. Well, the spirit, for sure, we see clearly goes and ascends into the ward, and that obviously would describe, it's just general man, so it describes saved people as well. But there is a little bit of an extra caveat with saved people, and that is that in Ephesians 2.6, now that there is this, this reality of being in Jesus Christ at the moment of salvation, it says... Uh, actually, I read you Ephesians 2, 1 earlier, talking about him quickening us. Well, later on, verse 5 says, Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us. This is not a future tense thing. And hath raised us up together and made us sit presently. Presently is not in the text, but I'm saying that's the context here. And made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So here's the caveat with a saved person. Not only will our spirit one day, like Ecclesiastes says, go and ascend into the Lord, but actually is seated with the Lord in heavenly places now. Okay, now again, I don't know how to explain that other than to just tell you what the Bible says. Does that mean that we no longer have a spirit, uh, a, a spirit inside of us? No, we definitely do. That's why he tells us to put off the old man, put on the new man. Okay, the new man is the Spirit of God inside of us. It is Jesus Christ. 
we still are a three-part being, but somehow at the very same time, our spirit is sitting together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Okay, that's because we are in Christ and Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. Okay, so our, the, the, the saved person that, that dies, of course, their spirit, it goes unto the Father and is somehow supernaturally already there now. Okay, now, how about the soul? Where, where, does, where does the soul go? Okay, 2 Corinthians 5. This is where, if you've been raised in a Baptist church, you've heard this reference quoted all the time. It's needfully so. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 6 says, Therefore we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight, we are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present uh, with the Lord. Okay, so again, where real life is, is in our soul, according to that reference I read earlier, uh, where Lot compares that his soul may live. I think it was Genesis 19, uh, verse 20. Okay, so... This is something I was kind of looking at, kind of breaking this down. When, again, how I said all this podcast, this episode came to be. We're me and Kyle were going back and forth talking about, um, you know, how some people believe this, this whole soul sleep thing. Okay, so think about this. It says that if we, so somebody that believes in soul sleep, what they would have to say is that a a Christian when they die, their body stays in the ground, of course, but their spirit goes into the Lord but their soul stayed and remained in their body. They would say something to the effect of that. The problem with that is, is that a Christian spirit is already seated in heavenly places. Okay? And it says, so, okay, our, the, the spirit, this may, I may kind of jump my words up a little bit. There's a lot to say here. The spirit is already with the Lord, according to Ephesians 2.6. But according to 2 Corinthians 5, it says that if, verse 6 says that while we're at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. Okay, so that means that even though my spirit is seated in heavenly places, because I'm in my body, I'm not with God. Right? That's what verse 6 is saying. I am am in the body, so I'm absent from the Lord. That means I'm not in his presence. Okay, verse 8, the opposite is given. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body. So if I'm absent, if I am not in my body anymore, then that means I'm present with the Lord. So technically, if somebody believes in soul soul sleep, what they are saying is they don't believe that saints in in the church age that have died are actually present with the Lord right now. Now they say, well, I believe the Spirit is. Okay, we... My spirit, while I'm living, is technically seated with, in heavenly places with Christ. But that don't mean I'm I'm in His presence right now. Yeah, if if I'm if our soul's sleeping in the grave and we're still absent from Him, then death does have a little bit of a sting. It does, yeah. And that, that verse is a lie. Yeah, First Corinthians fifteen fifty five, <laughs> absolutely, and it. Uh, it makes me definitely want to make it to the rapture for sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, okay. So that's, that's my whole point in that is that if, if, if we are 
if we are in the body, and that means we're absent from the Lord, then that means that if we die and our soul stays with our body, but our spirit is with him, even though it's already with him and we're not present with the Lord, that means we stay unpresent with the Lord after death, and that saint would not be present with the Lord until the rapture. Okay, that's, that's just not biblical. That's not what it's laying out here. Um, I have Ecclesiastes 2.26 2, written down here, and I have no idea why. Uh, let's see what Ecclesiastes 2.26 says. You got to be I'm turning yeah. these pages as slow as mine. Yeah, yeah. What's that say? For God giveth to a man that is good in his in his sight wisdom and knowledge and joy, but to the sinner he giveth travail to gather and to heap up that he may give to him that is good before God. This also is vanity and vexation of spirit. No idea why I wrote that down. There you go. There's another random Bible verse for you. <laughs> go study it. Quote it for yourself. So it says the word spirit. <laughs> there you go. There you go. But is it say, uh, I don't know why I wrote that down. So let's just skip on by that. Okay. So that brings us to the, to the final thing. That would be, so then what is raptured? So Kyle, if you want to go back to 1 Thessalonians 4, read that, that reference. Because what some people would say is, well, the Lord is coming back for that person's soul, that dead in Christ person. Their spirits with the Lord, they're with God. Although I think 2 Corinthians 5 disproves that just where our spirit is, that doesn't equal presence with him. Because even, again, another disproof of that is that a lost man's spirit goes back into the Lord. They're certainly not experiencing heaven. They're experiencing the opposite. Okay? Um, but go ahead and read that dead in Christ deal again, Big Kyle. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. So we have. So it's not hard to understand that if someone is alive on the earth at the moment of the rapture and they're saved, their body, soul, spirit is all still, boom, intact, outside the fact that their spirit at the same time is seated in heavenly places. But what we're discussing here is what is God coming back for for the person that's that's dead in Christ, because it says the dead in Christ shall rise first. So it's important enough for God to let us know in his word that those people rise up first. Again, the soul sleeper would say, or the person that believes in soul sleep would say, well, that's when they're finally, their soul is taken to the Lord. Okay, well, we certainly believe we've disproved that with the 2 Corinthians 5 references according to the Ecclesiastes references. Okay, so... what do I believe God is coming back for? Well, he's coming back for their body. Now, do is will their soul and spirit come back to join their body at the moment of this rapture? Yes. Now, obviously, at that moment, they're getting the new body, the glorified body. That's the whole purpose of the dead in Christ rising and then us which are alive and remain rising is at that moment, boom, 
we're getting a glorified body. But the reason that God is coming back for their body is because that's the only thing, based on what we've laid out, I believe, that's the only thing there is to come back for. That's the only thing that's not with the Lord. Now, I remember growing up, we would ask the question, like, what if somebody was cremated? That's why I said, I talking about that earlier. Uh, well, I believe God's able to put those particles back together. Uh, what if some, I mean, think about somebody that died in the 1400s and they were saved. Well, they, they've been dust for a long time. God's able to put, to put those pieces back together. Um, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50, says this. It's talking about the, the rapture as well. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. The mystery is the, the rapture. We shall not all sleep. Okay, so some people will sleep. Some people will be dead before Christ returns. But we shall all be changed. Some won't. Some will not be, uh, be dead. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Everybody's getting changed, this glorified body. Verse 52. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Okay, so there's a raising here. Those that are dead, there is some type of raising, and they're, incorru- they're becoming incorruptible at that moment. And then those that are still alive in, on, on earth, they're changed as well. Verse 53, this is the key. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. And just to define what that is, he goes a little further. And this mortal must put on immortality. Okay. When someone is saved, they're actually, regardless of if someone's saved or not, no one's soul is mortal. It's actually, it's actually immortal. It lasts forever. Mortal means that it is... I don't have that backwards, right? Yeah, mortal means that it, it will die off. Yeah. That's like the whole X-Men thing that I was joking about last episode. Okay. Mortal beings, they don't live forever. Okay, well, we know that our body, it's the only component of our, of the th- of our three-part being that doesn't live forever, but it does indeed not live forever. So notice what he's saying there again in verse 53. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So the context is the rapture. And we know from 1 Thessalonians 4 that both the dead in Christ are raptured and those which are alive and remain are raptured. There's this catching away of both parties. One happens before the other, uh, which I believe will all be very quickly, of course. But, so according to that, verse 53 cannot simply be, the the, the, the mortal putting on immortality cannot simply just be those that are still alive on the earth because both parties are raptured. Again, this may be so complicated. But what I'm saying is, no matter if someone is dead in Christ or someone is in Christ and they're still, they're still alive on the earth, every single person is having a moment where incorruption, I'm sorry, where corruption is putting on incorruption and mortal is putting on immortality. So it's not at the rapture, it's not that the Lord Jesus is coming back for our soul if we, if we die before the rapture. 
Although our soul will meet us, our body in that moment, and our spirit will meet our body in that moment, he is coming back for the body of the dead in Christ so that that incorruption, so that that, can, that corruption can put on the incorruption. So that that vile body, that fleshly body, can put on the glorified body. And that's what the whole changing, the word, the, that text says, we shall all be changed. That's what the changing is. The changing is from that, that mortality to the immortality. And then verse 54 says, So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass that is saying written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? So, again, let's say somebody died. Let's say they were in the military. Crazy. Let's give the craziest example we can. Let's say they were in the military. They were on a special mission. They were saved. And they got captured by somebody, were thrown overboard on a ship, sunk into the ocean, disintegrated in the ocean, or was eaten by a whale, digested through that whale, pooped out in the ocean, into particles that we'll never see. Are you, Dylan, are you saying that God's going to bring that body up to put on incorruption? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I, again, I don't know how. I, again, I don't know how I'm seated. My spirit is seated in heavenly places. The God's not asked us to be able to understand everything in a deep way. He's just asked us to believe what his word says. I don't understand, still to this day, fully in depth, how a, how a person can believe on a man that was Jewish, that was somehow 100% God and 100% man, that his death and resurrection offered payment to forgive us and to bring eternal life to us. That seems crazy. I don't understand it all. I just believe it and acted upon that that faith. So That's why logic all the time doesn't, doesn't work with the Bible. Yeah, you, if you're going <laughs> to approach the book, man, you better drop logic. It just yeah. don't work. So... Soul sleep, I'd say it's it's no good. Heresy. It's heresy. Romans 8, 23. Romans 8, 15 talks about the adoption. We've received the spirit of adoption. But technically, the, the fullness of that adoption doesn't take place at the moment of salvation. Verse 15 says, for, for we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Later on in, in Romans 8, verse uh, 23, it says, or verse 22 says, For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. So we've received the earnest of our inheritance, but the inheritance includes this new body. The adoption includes this new body. Even ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption. That shows, that shows that it's not been completed. Waiting for the adoption. What is the adoption? To wit, the redemption of our body. You see, in every verse that I've read with this, this changing taking place, the incorruption, 
I'm sorry, corruption putting on incorruption, immortality or mortal putting on immortality, the redemption happening of our body. It's all, it's all a body changing to another body. Okay, First John three two tells us exactly what that glorified body is going to be like. First John three two says, "Behold, now are we the sons of God." And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, that's at the rapture, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So what will our glorified body be like? Well, it'll be like he is post-resurrection. You know, he was able to go through walls. He was able to teleport. He was able to, you know, weird enough, he was able to eat. I don't know exactly how that works. Yeah. Uh, so it is a body. It's not just a soul floating around. It is a body. But in every context, I'm just trying to prove that it's, that it's not that, this, that our soul remains in the ground and in the grave. No, no, no. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And our soul is jointly connected with where we are. Again, the lost man's spirit goes back unto the Lord. But you better believe he's not going to experience any presence with the Lord. The lost man's soul is in the is in is in hell and eventually will be in the lake of fire. So I don't know. Hadn't listened to this episode. We just recorded it. <laughs> I actually hadn't listened to the last several. We we always used to listen. Uh, I used to always try to listen to all of them. And you know, you just get get behind and then you just stop doing it. Um, I hope this made sense. Maybe you study this out for yourself. And maybe you think, well, Dylan, I've never really overcomplicated it like y'all just did. Um, well, I've overcomplicated it. We've overcomplicated it because there are people that actually believe in soul sleep. Yeah, there's religions that, that teach that. Yeah, Jehovah's Witnesses believe in soul sleep. Seventh Day at Venice believe in soul sleep. Um, Which, yeah, go ahead and read that. Talking about them, I just wanted to. We've already hit all the scriptures explaining what we believe, but if you like the whole goal of these is that you you study yourself, right? Look look into this stuff, search the scriptures yourself. Um, but in doing that, there is people like we're saying, Seventh Day Adventist Jehovah's Witness, that will pull out some of these verses, and I just wanted to read. I think there's three verses right here that they mainly use when talking about soul sleeping. They believe you. Your soul is just asleep. It doesn't go to heaven or hell, right? Mm -hmm. So one of the, the first places they'll present to you is Job chapter 14, verses 10 through 12. It says, But man dieth and wasteth away. Yea, man giveth up the ghost, and where is he? As the waters fell from the sea, and the flood decayeth and dryeth up, so man lieth down and riseth not. So man lieth down and riseth not. Till the heavens be no more, they shall not awake nor be raised out of their sleep. So number one, that it it never says soul, by the way. Mm. It's, it's just saying man. So so this is talking about the body, right? It's talking about physical things. Waste away. We know the body wastes right. away in right. the grave. Decays, dries up. Mm -hmm. That's what's going to happen to your body, right? So, so number one, that's not talking about your soul, okay? And then the second place they're going to use is Ecclesiastes 9.5. For the living know that they shall die... But the dead know not anything, neither have they any more a reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Okay, so this is talking about the dead, right? Not the soul, 
It, it specifically says the day. All you have to do is words matter. That's right. right. Every Read word the words. Of God is pure. Yeah. Yes. So, so this is talking about the dead, right? Not, not the soul. We believe our body is dead, right? That's 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 okay, right? We believe yeah. that, but the soul is alive, right? So, if this is referring to the soul, though, what does it say? It it says, well, "Neither have they any more a reward." So, if this is referring to the soul, then this verse says we we don't have any rewards, mm. right? So, so this is obviously talking about the body. Yeah. Once once you die, your body decays; it wastes away. It doesn't have any more reward. There's nothing your body's doing. Right. And then lastly, Ezekiel 18.20. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. And they'll read that and say, the soul just dies. It's sleeping. Because of the first part of that says, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. Well, we believe the death of the body, right? And there is also the death of a soul, Revelation 21.8, but the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone. And at the end of that verse, which is the second death? Mm-hmm. So, so lost people's soul go to this second death. They, right. they go to hell. Right. So, so all those verses that those Jehovah's Witnesses and Seventh-day Adventists are going to present to you, if they would just read the words, yep. you, you can easily combat those things. I mean, it's... <laughs> yeah, well, and poor Jehovah's Witnesses, they got the New Living Translation, I believe, is their Bible. So, uh, yeah, there's man, your first problem. <laughs> yeah, it seems like we're always going back to versions, but it really, like Kyle said, it's about the individual words. And you can't study individual words if you just believe... You have the ideas and the thoughts and the concepts of God. Do we have those things? Yeah, we got them. But we have those because we know we have the actual words. Yeah. And that is so that is so huge. I, I will say I think it's funny. Some of these, I was looking up online the different groups of religions that believe in soul sleep. And one of the websites and the articles I came across was a Catholic website. And it says... It was them saying, how do we defend against soul sleep to the Jehovah's Witnesses? And I was like, hmm. Because the Catholics claim they don't believe in soul sleep. But then yet, what they'll also say is that every soul goes to heaven, hell, or purgatory. And if purgatory isn't a form of soul sleep, purgatory is not legit, but in the way they describe it, it's an idle place that is in between the two that by the prayers and the giving of money from their loved ones can, and I think even sometimes baptism of others, yeah. uh, can bring them, their loved ones into, into heaven. Well, that would be a, uh, you know as close as you can get to soul sleep without calling it soul sleep. So we believe one of two things. Your soul, at the moment of your last breath, is going to heaven or hell. And eventually, if it goes to heaven in this dispensation, it will eventually arrive at New Jerusalem. After it goes back on earth in a glorified body in the millennium, it will eventually go to New Jerusalem. And if, it's, if, if you're a lost soul and you die in that state, you will go straight to hell and you will eventually end up in the lake of fire after the great white throne judgment. 
So if you don't know Christ, you can meet him. You can come to him. You can call upon him. You can trust him today. His finished work upon the cross. Uh, and if you are saved, then we should tell others how they can do the same. Yes. All right. Well, that was a good one. Yes. Soul Sleep is Heresy. Yes. Uh, all right. Well, stay tuned. We got the, the series on, on Calvinism coming up. So Boy, y'all make sure good. to share these things. Come on, yeah. man. We're going we're gonna to try to make a splash. Yeah. Make it happen. Leave a review. Share them on Facebook. Get the podcast out there. We'll see you all in the next one.